It's another double whammy on our latest episode of Soundtracking, this time in the shape of two composers of worldwide repute. Michael Giacchino cut his teeth on video games before turning his attentions to film and television, with a host of award-winning scores for films such as The Incredibles, Up, Rogue One and Star Trek. David Arnold, meanwhile, is a much-loved British artist who's been making screen music for nigh on three decades, with Zoolander, Tomorrow Never Dies and Sherlock amongst his many credits. I caught up with him ahead of a very special evening at London's Royal Albert Hall called Settling the Score, in which they played some of their greatest hits for want of a better expression. But before we hear from the boys, we have an offer from our friends at Grass & Co, a premium range of products that blend the highest quality 100% natural CBD with therapeutic botanical ingredients. Now, Grass & Co's organic CBD and botanical formulations have been specially created to bring balance to your body and mind with the most delicious flavours. Now, I've been using these for the past few months and I have to say the effects are quite astounding. But for a lot of people who have already tried CBD oils, they think the challenging taste is something you just have to put up with. However, Grass & Co have addressed this very issue. Their CBD is blended with organic botanical ingredients, including ginger, turmeric, orange, ashwagandha, chamomile and mint for the smoothest flavours. As with all supplements, CBD will affect everyone differently. So start low and steadily build your dosage every day so you find the balance that works for your body. The Grass & Co Calm range brings tranquility to your day with CBD consumable oils, nourishing body oils and peaceful pillow sleeps. Now I've just moved over from their Ease range to Calm and I have to say it just makes getting through my busy life a little easier. I use it every morning and evening to feel less anxious and overwhelmed when I'm busy and trying to balance kids stuff and work. Grass & Co CBD oils contain no traces of THC, which means that all the CBD products are totally legal to buy, consume and supply within most EU countries. And you can get 20% off by going to grassandco.com forward slash soundtracking. That's grassandco.com forward slash soundtracking. Grass & Co, life enhanced by nature. And so to Michael and David. Now, we obviously can't play two tracks to kick off the show, so we've plumped for the opening cue from Up, a score for which Michael won an Oscar and a BAFTA. Seems fair enough. This is a treat. I like when we get like more than one person who does similar things together to talk about it. And Mr. David Arnold, you have featured on the podcast before with Don Black, which was an honour. But we've had other people talk about you as well, be it Michael Apted or Edgar Wright. Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much. Always lovely to be here and to be talked about. (laughs) (laughs) And joined by Michael. Michael, can I 
You've got a surname that people say lots of different ways. Uh, I'm going to yes. go. Let's hear which one. Can you I, got? Which can one I go you with Giacchino? You can. That, that, that's, that's acceptable. It's, the, the, it's not the, right. The, okay. It's, no. it's, the right one is uh, Giacchino. Giacchino. Yeah, Great. Yeah, Thank yeah. you, sir. So, yes. Welcome. It's actually on his Twitter profile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. I've read that. I still don't know how to say it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, been, it's, it's a problem that has followed me my entire life. Well, <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to have you because um, you've featured so many times on the podcast, people talking about you, Brad Bird, and numerous people. And you're here because this week uh, you're in town. You've literally just landed. You have this brilliant thing settling the score, which is this <laughs> event that's happening at the Royal Albert Hall, the two of you. How and where did the idea for this come about, first of all? Whose bright I mean, idea was You know what the funny it? thing is? Yeah. You know how we, we met pretty much on Twitter. No way. This is how, kind of, it was you more, know. It was more than was that. Was David did, stalking you? Well, I did see, I did see Michael, when BAFTA won, when, 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 that's right, BAFTA, we met at the BAFTAs. Michael won BAFTA for Up. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and he was standing in the middle of the after party by himself looking quite pitiful uh, and having a little weep. So, uh, but stroking his crying. BAFTA but, 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 adoringly. But still, yes, stroking yeah. the BAFTA. I went, I went, it was really heavy. That's why I was sad. I had to carry that that whole he's night. He's terribly weak. Uh, and uh, so I went up to him and just made sure he was all right, you know, Aww. and um, I didn't care. But uh, I thought he was a homeless person. I was questioning how did he even get into this room i didn't know who this guy was from i can tell that Friday which is what is everyone said a... about michael who's that guy <laughs> who's that guy why is he in this room why did he, he get that after i think that man just stole something <laughs> so anyway so we so we sort of met on on twitter and on twitter you kind of get a sense for in terms of humor you know like yeah. who's who's on the same kind of path mm-hmm. and so we sort of got on really well and and we started just when michael came over to record or he was doing a show or as um we we made up meet up started going for dinner and you know we like the same food we like the same drinks we like the same sort of movies we like the same sort of music we like the approach to music and i went to michael's um 50th birthday party which he just um, a wee thing, unassumingly wasn't it? Just a little, held yeah. at the albert hall <laughs> I mean, normally, normally when I have a birthday party, I don't charge people to go. But Michael <laughs> had five thousand people turned up, and uh, so many friends. Yeah, and and um, uh, and, and so that all these people and there's like all these directors on the stage. I mean, it was a proper like Hollywood came to to London, uh, it and it was a brilliant. It was a brilliant night, and we were talking afterwards about so we should just try and do something together because you know like people there's, there's a resurgence of interest in, in 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 film music and in concert performance. You know, like we mm. both had films that we've done performed with uh, with with orchestra in you know live situations and it's incredibly exciting and there's always something nice about seeing the composer there as well mm-hmm. you know there's something a little bit different about it so we thought this would be an interesting way of of, of a doing a concert where yeah. you only have to do half the work yes <laughs> uh, uh, and also that was go, the biggest draw hopefully between the two of us we've got enough you know, sort of, I suppose if you're in a band, hits. Just Are to, you so, serious? So, so people I mean, would know, this concert you know. could go on for like 10 days. There's so much music well, that you guys could if you left it to Michael, it would. <laughs> I, remember, I, remember, I remember seeing him first and, and you know, thinking like Michael Giacchino, you know, I could listen to him all night. And for a minute there, I thought I was going to have to. <laughs> oh man, the gags are going to be going all night, I oh, imagine yeah. as no, well. No, it'll be a fun night. I mean, the other great thing about this kind of concert is you know, you go to concerts sometimes and nobody ever says anything. They just sort of play the music and, yeah. on, and which is fine. But I kind of like it when there's an interaction between the people on stage and then the audience. And I think that this is going to be a great opportunity for us to have a lot of fun, not only with each other, but with the people in the hall mm. and just, just to have a silly, fun 
time. Is and that so, something... so sometimes I think as well as like the idea that, you know, when, when people are, certainly when I was a bit younger, and people say, what do you do? They say, oh, like, you're a composer. And they say, oh, I expected you to be old. Or when they meet you for the first yeah. time, they said, oh, I expect you to be old. We are now. Uh, so, yeah, this is going back a few years. <laughs> we thought we expected you to be old. Uh, uh, and so the, the, you know, the, the idea is, especially when you have an orchestra and a conductor yeah. and composition, you know, that those three things feel that you should be wary of them, you know, somehow, you know, yeah. that you should play at great deference. Mm-hmm. And that there is a seriousness of, of 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 thought when you go into a concert hall, and it's hushed, and it's yeah. Uh, and, and 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 I remember like whenever I do my concerts, I always like try and start by saying something daft, just to say, well, it's yeah. not really. Let's turn this into a living room yeah. rather than a concert hall. Yeah, it's not uh, stuffy. It doesn't have yeah, to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't like that either. I mean, I'm always you know talking with the audience, and even when we do our sort of live to picture films, you know, like Star Trek or anything. I try to get them. I always ask them, how many people have been in this hall before to see the symphony? And almost always no one raises yeah. their hands. A very small group of people. And I was like, okay, so you don't have to be quiet here. We're going to be watching a movie together. We're going to be playing the music along with the film. I want you to, like, boo the villains and cheer for the <laughs> yeah, heroes. Yeah, yeah. And, all. and and when you give them that permission to have that fun, yeah. it's amazing what happens. And, and the place kind of just blows up, has a great time, and it's just one of those really fun things to be in the middle of. So I'm assuming, hopefully, we'll have a fun night like that. started composing though did the idea of being able to play your music with an orchestra in somewhere like the Royal Albert Hall was that something that you thought you were going to then go on to do because it's it's such a wonderful addition almost to what you do in terms of writing all this incredible music for film for tv for games but to actually get out in front of people and play it live and get a reaction, a physical reaction from people must be a wonderful thing. Yeah, it is. It is a great thing anytime you get to share something like that in a sort of a public space. And that sort of group art sort of enjoyment is is just that's why I love going to the movies yeah. you know, with a group of people because you can all react together. And I think that's a lot like what this is. But in terms of when I first started out that I think that I'd be doing something like this. No, I was just happy to have that initial job and was hoping that there would be another one that I liked as much that would come after that one. Yeah. And then as time goes on, you start piling up all of this work. You look behind you like, oh, wow, I did a bunch of things. Then you start thinking, well, maybe we could do a concert or do, you know, but it takes a while because I think you're just building your career at first and just seeing what happens. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit of a two-stage process for me. One, one is that we do jobs which are essentially solitary and we don't see people for huge amounts of time <laughs> and when you do get a chance i mean effectively social people you know michael probably could have easily been a stand-up in another life you know in terms of being able to communicate with people mm -hmm. 
if you're in that room by yourself for so long, it's like it's such a relief to get out with carbon-based human beings <laughs> uh, and, and, and just talk to them, you know. Uh, and, 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 and so that's a great part of it, mm. isn't it? It's, oh, there's light, there's daylight, there's yeah. people, there's other things. And the other thing is like when, when, when you write a piece of music, the point at which you own it is such a brief moment. The, the, the point of conception really is the point when it's yours. And at wow. that point when you offer it into this world of, of, of film, where everyone else is going to start telling it what to wear, you know, and what to eat and, and how it's <laughs> supposed to speak. And, you know, that you don't do that sort of thing. And you walk like this and you talk like that and you behave like this and you say these things and it goes into the, the maelstrom, which is filmmaking. And then it's alongside holding hands with the sound and the light and the editing. And it becomes part of this bigger thing. You're, you're, you're like a child. You have to let go of it and let mm. it keep your fingers crossed that it makes it to the other side of the road yeah. and run over. And, um, <laughs> And when you perform it live, it's kind of like you get it back again. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, it's just, now it's just me and it, but there's an audience as well. But when you perform it, it's like you kind of get that back again. Yeah. And hearing, I imagine as well, hearing that, that composition come back at you from these incredible players. Yeah. That must be quite a... Well, that's uh, the best thing about it. I always, you know, we don't really have much of anything if we don't have the players. We've got a piece of paper with a bunch of dots on it and... Uh, without these people that spend their entire lives, you know, rehearsing and practicing. Because mm. it literally does take a lifetime to get as good as many of these musicians are. I mean, to be able to just sit down and read and play something, that's not easy. So I'm always aware of the incredible hard work that it takes for a player to do that. And, and I'm always so grateful that they can do that and yeah. that they selflessly just sort of share this with everyone around them. It's that's one of my favorite things about the whole process mm. is working with also, them. And also you get horribly spoiled by the excellence of yeah. the people that you work with. Mm. And so when I hear something played brilliantly by an orchestra, I'm sort of at the point now where I'm not surprised. I almost expect it. Right. I'm now just disappointed when it's not as brilliant as that because, you know, we're lucky to work with the best. And when you've done that, it's really, you know, you have to kind of reset a little bit if you're doing something somewhere else with another band and it's like a different set of players you kind of just have to reset but you know but but it absolutely is down to the players because the words on a page mm. you know are you talking to me is you know it's like five words right yeah. give it to de niro all of a sudden it's it's something else completely yeah. you know you can write a phrase and it will be a phrase it will be a piece of music but in the hands of the right player it it, it transcends that and it becomes something much more profound yeah. oddly and for me, the idea of 92 of these people each giving a performance, you know, to, to something is, no matter who's written it, is always the most extraordinary thing. And I think that's why it works, you know, because yeah. it's just full of intent and emotion. And, uh, and these people have to be match fit. You know, they can get a call tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Can you come and play Stravinsky? Can you play Rite of Spring? Oh, and by the way, in the morning, can you come and play on an, an, an advert for Coca-Cola? Yeah, it's all jazz know, music. It's like, it's like it, you know, they can... And they have to be yeah. able, fit and able and ready to do any of those things at any time, which means that when they're not working, they've still got to be practicing six, seven hours yeah. a day, you know. And when you're yeah. in your 40s or your 50s, that's a hell of a commitment. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's not like dentists don't do that. No. You know, dentists don't have to, like, keep practicing being a Although dentist when they're not working. doesn't sound like a bad idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be nice. The, uh, the idea that these guys can just sit down and play anything is, is amazing because when they show up at a recording session, they don't even know what they're working on. Like, they don't even, they many times don't know the name of the film. They yeah. don't know what style of music it's going to be. They wouldn't have seen any clips no. of no, it or nothing. performance they, or anything. And they don't even know what it is. They just show up and they're so good 
they can just do that. They don't have to worry about what's going to be on that page. They know they can play it, and they uh, and they and they do. Let's talk about some specifics, though, because if I had listed down everything that you've both worked on, my kind of right arm would have been numb <laughs> by now. To be honest, it's extraordinary. But what's really good is there's some really real similarities in terms of things that you've done in terms of you've both worked on really high profile, successful TV shows that have mm-hmm. been long running, but also building those relationships with certain directors as well and, and working over a number of films with people as well is something. And Mike, if you don't mind if I ask you first just about the kind of the world of animation that you've worked in. And we've, mm-hmm. we've been, we've had Brad on the show who yeah. just talked so, so highly a, about you, but, but also working with Lee on Coco and yep. then also with, um, with it, with Pete on on up as well, and kind of that world. And what point for you is the ideal sort of start point for you within that world? Well, it's it's not unlike um, live action. Actually, for me, I want to sort of see a version of the movie first. You know, I'd rather not read a script if I don't have to, because when I read a script, I imagine my version of that movie yeah. in my head. So inevitably, when I then see their version of it, I'm like, oh, wait, I did all this work for my version <laughs> yeah. in my head. And what you're showing me is very different. So I now have to recalculate. Yeah. So I, I try not to to read scripts. I wait for a version of the film to see. Although on Inside Out, you know, Ronnie Del Carmen, who was head of story on that film, he I sat in his office and he literally flipped through a bunch of storyboards to show me this the, the opening sequence of the yeah. film and how it was going to play out and all of that. And that was beautiful, too, just seeing images. I think for me, it's all about images. What am I looking at? Because ultimately, that's that's what we'll be dealing with. So I watch the film, and then I sit down, and I um, and I try and just, I really just sit at the piano, and I try and find the notes that will explain how I felt when I watched the movie. You mm-hmm. know, it's about finding those notes. And that can take a little while sometimes, because there's a, such a specific feeling you have when you look at a piece of art. And it's about tracking that and try to then translate that into music, mm-hmm. you know. But it's always about emotions, you know. And you have to really feel those emotions in order to write them. At least for me, I, I do. It's very hard for me to write anything if I'm just not attached or connected in any way to the story or the film. Yeah. Um, so I'm always pretty careful about what I choose to do in that sense because uh, I know it's going to be very difficult for me if, I, <laughs> if I'm not connected. But uh, it's like an actor. You take on all of these emotional issues and problems and things that are going on in the film you have to in order to if you want to write truthfully yeah i mean that melody that it's so simple and beautiful, uh, yeah. but but it just like it's it god it makes you cry it makes me cry even sort of thinking about it because it's such yeah a, i mean that film's extraordinary that and up in that terms movie, of yeah. the emotional connection that they made yeah they're they're amazing at pixar they're they're just there's so many great and talented people there and their sort of devotion to the story is sort of unparalleled not just in animation, but across the board, I would say, in filmmaking, they just go at it and at it over and over and over. And no, you know, and nothing is sort of like, here it is, we wrote the page, it's done. That page is going to get rewritten like 15 times before yeah. it's done. You know, and yeah. that's, that's incredible dedication. And I think that that's a huge part of what makes their films so different from all of the other films that are out there in the world in terms of animation.
everything's got its own identity. Yeah. It's like this morning I was coming and I was, uh, my kids were saying, oh, what are you doing today? And I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to go and interview a couple of really great composers. And they remembered David from bumping into him on the Heath a couple of times <laughs> as well. And then I was like, and they were like, oh, what's Michael done? I was like, oh, the Incredibles. Immediately they both went, did it, did it, did it. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, I think that's, in terms of both of you as well, what you, you've done is that you, you create really um, connecting melodies in terms right. of there's things that really stand out with things that make such a connection with the film that almost yeah. you can't think of it without the other. I think that's one of the reasons we're actually friends is because I love what he does in terms of when he writes, he's creating a musical identity for this story. And when you hear it, you're like, oh, that belongs to that. Yeah, sure. There's no question. I mean, you know what I mean? Oh my God. I love that. And there's not a lot of people that do that anymore. I don't go on and on about why I have no idea, but that's one of the things I love about him. He's not, he does not run from uh, melody or emotional moments mm -hmm. or any, like it's just, puts it all out there and that's, that's I think that's probably just because you what you grow up with you know yeah. it's like if you think about the classic TV themes I mean before you got to the cinema you know when you're a kid I'm uh, thinking chips and you're watching you're watching I always think about chips but not in the way that you are um, one of my favorite yeah, and Magnum P.I. Yeah, I know yeah, you yeah. worked on that yeah, show yeah. but did he write the theme he he redid he, it yeah he, uh, he, he kind of came in it had started but they got him to redo the theme that's great yeah think it's a you know like your opening title it's, it's one it's funny like with good omens originally they were going to use um every day by buddy holly uh and it was going to open with that which yeah. is a kind of like you know, naive charming you know sort yeah. of really lovely beautiful yeah. little song uh and to a certain extent it would have it would have absolutely worked every day it's a getting closer going faster than a roller coaster love like yours will surely come my way Getting faster, everyone said, Go ahead and ask her. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, 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 every day seems a little longer. Every way, love's a little stronger. Come what may, do you ever long for true love from me? Every day, it's a getting closer. Hey, 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 love 
like yours will surely come my way. I always find like sometimes the, the thing with songs in shows, unless it's you know something like The Sopranos, you know, like or, or, or um, you know, Vikings, you know, where yeah. where where the title thing is kind of like a record, but it becomes the show by virtue of the fact that it is so indelibly sort of linked to it. But it was it was something else before, you know, and it sort of kind of seconded in, in, into the show. But I always love, you know, so we had a load of like sort of great British TV writing in the sort of 60s and 70s where everything was so extraordinarily identifiable. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I, I didn't really become aware of American TV till much later because we never got it or heard of it. But, you know, you think those classic sort of 70s, all the, you know, like Rockford Files and Kojak oh, yeah. and, Dallas. and Taxi and yeah, Dallas, Dallas and, good stuff. And, and Cheers, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you, so you know them all, right? But, <laughs> as soon, as, as, as soon, <laughs> but, but in order to make that happen, people would have to put players in a room. You know, they get yeah. they would hire a bunch of people yeah. and they would put them in a room and they have to write something for them to play. Once the sort of digital age happened and it became much cheaper for people and easier for people to just do stuff in a box, it's kind of much easier, and which is why I think a lot of things sound quite similar, is that, look, we haven't got much time. Not that that was ever an issue for people who were, you know, great writers. Yeah. They turned things over overnight, you know, like on numerous occasions. You know, it's like I've said it quite frequently, that, that a lot of the time now it's like, a lot of TV shows start with what sounds like just someone pressing a kind of loop and it's yeah. sort of welcome to blah 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 whatever it is and I always think like that your opening titles are like a shot window you know it's a thing that that A you want to it catches your eye and it says well this is telling me that there's something going on in here that I want to find out about so I'm going to go in and so with, with like with Good Omens, I spoke to Neil Neil Gaiman about it and Doug McKinnon who directed it, and I said, I know you've got this, sh- you know this this show with this opening title song, but can I just play you something? <laughs> because I always find that for me, it's like it's the skeleton upon which everything else hangs. You know, if there is a a, a kind of tent pole which is your central theme, yeah, everything else can sort of hang off of that. And also, it says this is our show. Every day by Buddy Holly it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But the theme to Good Omens means Good Omens, and that's all it means. thing and I played it to them and they liked them thank god and so they let me do it but it's a huge part of it for me I had to say no to a show recently because they wanted a song for the opening sequence and for me that's that's the you know the shop window it's the market store it's your it's your yeah. this is who we are this is probably the only time where you're going to go here I am you know and this is what this is all about musically because now the titles go by at the end and there's no time you know to, to write stuff and I always feel like you think about some mothers do have them you know this is a TV show in the 70s I don't know if you know it, but it was a sort of it was Michael Crawford it's a sort of very odd character comedy very sort of clumsy uh, always getting into trouble and, 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 and the theme tune was written on two flutes you know oh. it's just two flutes
never get today right <laughs> um but but why not you know it's like why wouldn't you and the reason is because people for some reason don't say why don't we do this they yeah. said yeah all right we'll do that we'll do what you think right you know it's like you need to be pushing sometimes and say can we please try this you've got nothing to lose yeah because if you don't like it don't use it but yeah. at least have a listen with with genre do you almost kind of like try and go the opposite way sort of thing i mean you working on Dracula at the minute, aren't yeah. you, as well? And so you kind of think, oh, Dracula, you know, you kind of, Dracula has, yeah, it has well, a kind you of you say like, that, but I mean, how many years have they been making Dracula movies? Can, can, <laughs> yeah. Do you know the Dracula theme? <laughs> well, no. you know, the John Williams one from the Brian De Palma film. That was Brian yeah, De Palma, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there isn't a Dracula no. theme, you know. No. It's not like, like the Bond theme or Star Wars where it's right. like this thing yeah. that is so powerful. Right. It has eclipsed everything else and travels with the character wherever it goes. Yeah. And it was the same with Sherlock. You know, it's like you don't know. You know, Sherlock and Dracula did with Michael Price, obviously. And, um, you know, talking about these things, like, well, everyone knows Dracula. Everyone knows Sherlock. I think the two most filmed literary characters <laughs> in the world but but there's no recognisable thing that says this is right. this, this is who he is. So you're aware of the background of the character, but you do kind of have an opportunity to say this is who he is now, and this is who he yeah, is yeah, yeah. here in this show. Dracula's been trickier because of what they've done with the character. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite as simple as, as I thought it was when they said they were doing Dracula. Because I have an idea about who Dracula is, and yeah. so do you, and so do you. But they had a different one. <laughs> so, uh, so it was a little bit of, little bit of readjustment. It's all but, done now, though. But it's that's great. kind of fun, though. That, oh, it's that, it's that, a that, huge that, challenge. You know, when, that, when you have to spin your head around a bit and look at something from a different perspective, I kind of I like that. Even like you were saying, like, Dracula is a good example. And you would think even Batman, Batman seems to have like several iconic versions of his theme, but nothing that is consistent, you know, and that's. Well, that's part of the problem is when you when you when you have multiple composers and you kind of restart the character. Yeah. You know, I mean, the Adam West one is always going to be my favorite one because it's the one you grew up with. But it's it's, it's it's fabulous.
I'm a big fan of, you know, for me, for themes, it sort of takes me back to this thing you were saying about your kids, Incredibles, they sing it. For me, writing a theme comes from a sort of vocal perspective. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. I sort of want to be something that you yeah. can sing. Yes. Yeah. So when you say The Incredibles, you go, da 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 you can <laughs> yeah. sing it. It's not like a kind of piano well, thing which you have yeah. to reach for and figure out, you know, is that interval correct? It's like, it's something that, that comes out of you in a, in, a, in a way like, I think all music should effectively should be folk music you know i think that's the most effective the and, the, and 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 the most intuitive yes. yeah. music that there is so i always i always try and write melody from a perspective of if i was singing it where would it go yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Like that natural thing of following it somewhere that it that it leads you and not yeah. being afraid right. to do that mentioned Bond and Star Wars and that's something that you've both done is kind of come into a world where there is a an existing kind of sound scape yeah. and you know expectation I guess mm. but, and Star Trek as well yeah well, and Mission Impossible yeah of course well it's yeah. interesting Star Trek Star Wars definitely has a an established sound because John was the only person writing for Star Wars yeah. ever so it really had its own thing you know Star Trek is different because that has been passed through many different hands over the years you know and I do remember when I first got that job, thinking I was very intimidated because I loved so much of that music that had been done in the past, you know, and it was about really just forgetting about that and letting, allowing yourself to go somewhere new with it. Yeah. But that was really hard. That took, that was, that film was probably one of the hardest ones for me because of that, you know, legacy that it had.
even though there wasn't other than sort of Alexander Carriages to me. Like, if you were to strip everything away, in my mind, you'll just, you're going to be left with Alexander Carriages theme, which <laughs> yeah. I love so much. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Outside of that, you know, all the films sort of took their own version and the, the TV shows kind of went their own directions. And so it's it's always different. It depends on the property. And with Gareth, with, with Rogue One, you know, he really, it was, it was, it was something different anyway yeah. in terms of, and, and he was great when we had him on here. He's, um, he does brilliant impressions of all the sound effects of uh -huh. Star Wars. He was talking about how he went and got like, he had all these files that he'd given him of all the original sounds used in the original films and stuff. You know that sound of the, the kind of Death Star being... Yep, uh-huh. He's kind of like, he does, it's brilliant. He's just a <laughs> he's geek. A, he's a fun guy. He's, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah. I, love, I love him. He's, it was really fun working with him. And find, But finding that kind of, you know, kind of middle ground almost. Yeah, that he well, would try to, I think which we I think both he, really wanted the film to feel like a Star Wars movie, yeah. but we didn't want to use all the music that had come before. We wanted to create new ideas and new things that could inhabit and live in that world. And that was important to me as well, to be able to kind of, because, you know, when you saw those movies, each one of those films, particularly the first three. Um, now, when I say first three, I mean, you know, yes, exactly. So though, each of those had their own, you know, musical identity and they would have new themes that come out with new situations and all of that. And I loved that about those movies. Yeah. So I wanted to do that with Rogue One, you know, and 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 then only use the pre-existing material when we absolutely needed to do it because then it would be more emotional too. Yeah. If you play it all the time, it doesn't really serve any purpose. You you should save pushing that button for when you absolutely need it. I only want to hear the force theme when I really need it, you know, because then you get the hairs up on your 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 neck from the audience and all of that. And that's, you know, having that restraint seems to be difficult for a lot of these kinds of films sometimes. Yeah. They just kind of go at it and hammer home with those pre-existing things and that's to me that doesn't help your storytelling.
about for Bond, David, in terms of being handpicked really by John Barry to kind of <coughs> pass the baton um, really to you? Was... Yeah, well, it's the same idea. You know, sort of grow up with those films, and you grow up with that music, and you grow up with that sound. And I think what I felt from watching Michael's um, Star Trek in the in the cinema was you felt in the music the enthusiasm hmm, yeah. for the original yeah. spirit yeah. of it. That's what I felt it really captured, that everyone involved in that seemed to love the original stuff so much that they had managed to put that on the screen somehow. And my approach to Bond was that was was I kind of wanted to do everything I ever wanted to do, <laughs> you know, in, 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 in doing that. And in a way, when I did Shaft as well, like I think a couple of years later, which was something with a very established musical blueprint. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and obviously Isaac Hayes being Isaac Hayes yeah. and me being a white bloke from Luton. That's a bit of a leap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And was a conversation. Oh, who should we get for the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had to have that conversation with John Singleton, God rest his soul. Um, you know, it was... It, I, I said, like, I've got to speak to John about this because, you know, Isaac's obviously a, a monster of a, of, a, of a player and a performer <laughs> and a writer. But also, you know, culturally, this is hugely important. I felt like I understood what the music was doing emotionally. And I think, you know, like if you'd have asked me about how do I go about writing it, I would have given the same answer as Michael. You know, it's all about I want to sound like how I feel. You know, yeah. I want this to sound like how I feel about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and with Shaft and I suppose with Bond over the years, you build up a kind of catalogue of experience of it because you see it at different points in your life and different things happen. Um, but there's always this core of, I suppose, real attachment to it, you know, like a healthy relationship, I suppose. You know, at its heart, it's really rock solid and it can go off in all sorts of different directions if you let it. So with Bond, it's like I just wanted it to feel like it was born of the same DNA of that original music. You know, that was a, that was that was yeah. that was the main that was the main thing. And that involved certainly on Tomorrow Never Dies, you know, incorporating elements of John's orchestrational mm. uh, techniques. Right. But again, trying to trying to bring it somewhere else.
when I remember seeing that movie for the first time and being just really enthralled by what you did with the music, and this was long before I even we met or knew, yeah. probably long before I was even, you know, I was just starting my career because he's so much older than me. It was 20, like, 22 I was, years ago. Right? <laughs> 22 years ago. <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, it, I was just beginning and I remember hearing that and just being like, that is amazing. Like you kept exactly what I loved mm. about James Bond, but added everything yeah. I never knew I wanted. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a really good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Which was great. running out of time quickly here which is such a shame but I, f- I feel like this could be our first chapter of many <laughs> chapters to be honest but um there's a couple of things i wanted to just to just to cover quickly before we go and one yeah. of those was um i watched a couple of your films because was, i was never going to be able to watch everything you worked on in the lead up to this but i mean i watch a lot of your films in the house with my kids and stuff mm-hmm. but um super eight i watched again uh, recently and i love that film yeah i love that i, I really love working on movie. that film that was one of the except one of the exceptions. I did read the script early on, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember telling talking to JJ about it and saying, "Oh my God, you literally captured my childhood because that's all I did as a kid was make movies. I didn't meet any aliens and anything like that. But 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 all no, the other side, yeah, <laughs> not that I know about, yeah, the other side of the story, the kids and their camaraderie and their making films. I mean, that was my entire childhood doing that. So that movie has a very special place for me, and uh, and it was also you know, being able to work on a film that Steven Spielberg was producing, it was really incredible to work with him. And was he quite hands on then? Was he? He was around a lot. He would yeah. be around a lot. And he, but he's, he's incredibly supportive. And, you know, I owe him almost everything to him. He gave me my start in video games and he was the one that sort of pushed for the fact that we would use live orchestra in those games. And without him doing that, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. You know, uh, he was incredibly supportive, still is to this day. And uh, and it's just that that film. Yeah, I love that film. So much fun.
Can you guess which one of yours I watched? Oh, no, no. <laughs> no idea. I mean, there's what I love about when you look at... I mean, it's the same with you both in terms of the variety. You know, you're not the type of composer who just does a couple of different things. It's vast. Yeah. You know, you talk about Shaft, Independence Day. Um, but I watched Hot Fuzz again because oh. I love oh, no, that film so movie. much. No, I, I mean, I'm in double figures. Of, I was yeah. in double figures yeah. before I watched that's it again, but movie. what a yeah. great film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I, think it's, a, it's an absolute classic. I think working on comedies when they're brilliant, mm-hmm. like Zoolander and Hot Fuzz, I remember like writing those two and Zoolander never well. being bored <laughs> for a moment, <laughs> even when you're watching something for the 10th time. or something. And the thing about Edgar, you know, Edgar's a bit like an animator, you know, it's like every frame yeah. is an opportunity. Yeah. And even in the mix, I mean, it, you know, I mean, directors very rarely come to the mix of the music, but he would come to the mix of the music. And we'd come to a point and he goes like, there's a little thing that happens in this frame. Can we just pick that? And it would always make it better. It's an odd thing. It's like he was always looking at ways to make it funnier. Yeah. And it always was funnier when we did what he thought would make it funnier. It was interesting for me, like working with Ben on Zoolander was that it was just incredibly funny anyway. So I just had to be really straight and provide the structure for which for the gags to work yeah. but you can never write funny music for a comedy you know it's like you have to be straight yeah. uh, and, and the idea of you know like sort of bad boys in, in near you know near cheddar you know is uh, in some with a James in Bond Wales. in there as well which there's is a little just bit, a touch, there's a little bit know? of everything yeah but, exactly um, you ever shot your gun in the air and gone <laughs> so yeah it's always, always a pleasure to write something that is a pleasure to watch yeah. over and over and over and over again my my here come the fuss The next film that we're going to hear your music in, Michael, uh, which is coming out here in the UK in January, is Jojo Rabbit with right. the extraordinary title Titi. Just, yeah. What I, I mean, he's such a unique individual. I've never met anyone like him. He's an amazing guy and he's mm. really fun to work with. He is incredibly smart and creative and and one of those people that just always has a unique way of looking at something. You know, yeah. you would never have thought of looking at it the way Taika has looked at it, you know, mm. and this film, for that reason and many others, is sort of one of my favorite films I've been a part of. I'm super proud to be a part of this movie uh, for just what it is creatively, but also for what it has to say mm-hmm. about everything going on in the world right now. And I yeah. just think that that's important. And it's, I hope everyone goes and sees it. <laughs> yeah, me too. It was funny because when I, was, I spoke to him last week about it, which people will get to hear in January, but I said, you know, what were the conversations that you had with Michael when it came to 
you know, score. And he said, I said, could you just do me up? Something? Yeah. Yeah. He goes, can we just do something that, you know, he loves up. He loved that movie. But yeah. I think what, you know, for him, it was about because that movie had a real musical identity to it yeah. and had a thing. And he just wanted something that that did the same for his film, yeah. you know, which was great. And it does. And it is. It, it was, you know, it was just a joy to work on that film with him. It was great. We both come back again. Sure. Yes. Yeah, we'll come back. Um, and um, I mean, I'm I'm not sure if there's some kind of like celebrity deathmatch element to settling the score or not, but I, <laughs> I wish you both luck with it on Friday. I think I'll there be is a there. wrestling match. I hope there's the no physical the... violence involved. <laughs> no, listen, but, um, Michael, Michael being American has probably got some sort of insurance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope it's the first of many as well because it's such a great idea and it's wonderful. I took my kids to see Empire Strikes Back at the Royal Albert oh, Hall a couple oh, weeks ago with the, yep. with the orchestra. Extraordinary, and isn't we're it? Doing the whole, we did New Hope and so we're... The Day of Jedi ne- next year, I think. They just announced the season for next year. And I it was think. amazing because Rudy, my oldest, was 11. He was kind of like, after we saw New Hope, he was like, I didn't realise there was so much music in it, Mum. Yeah. Because mm. it's so weaved and intrinsic yeah. and you don't think about it, but seeing the musicians play, you're... Your yeah. eyes are kind of just focused. Especially you know, Empire. Yeah. That yeah. has a mm. lot of music mm. in that film. And that, yeah. that's one of my favorite scores Is it? of John's. I love that score. I mean, I have many, but that one in particular, I love so much. Yeah. I think, that, I think that. that has the weightier emotional heft, yeah. I think, of all of them, you know, yep. because the reveals are so yeah. profound. Even that moment where Han and Leia have that little kiss as well, that kind of sweeping romance kind of element to it as well as all the... That score goes all over the place and I just love it so much. And also stylistically, it's beautiful because it's both melodic, but it's also, it it strays into like 20th century music as well, like really wild, crazy textures and things. And if you really listen to the battle, you know, when they're battling the snow walkers there uh, on Hoth, that cue is amazing. Like one of my favorites ever recorded. Amazing means we can play it. Um, <laughs> David, Michael, thank you for your time. Cheers. Absolutely. Thanks for having us.
From the score to Empire Strikes Back, that's Battle in the Snow by John Williams, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Michael Giacchino and David Arnold. My huge thanks to Michael and David for taking the time to talk to us. If you made it to Settling the Score at London's Royal Albert Hall, I hope you had a riotous night. Head to edithbowman.com, Spotify or iTunes to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my chats with Brad Bird, Leon Quidge and Gareth Edwards. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and do also have a look at our YouTube channel. Next up, an absolute treat to catch up with the fantastic female composer that is Mika Levi. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 